You're a friend. You are parent, son, daughter. You are human. And this is what you need to survive. Now, try to imagine you don't have one of these things, or all of these things. For the daughter that goes to sleep hungry at night, or the son who is forced to drink dirty water every day, it's reality. A reality where poor nutrition causes nearly half the deaths in children under five. But here's the thing, it doesn't have to be this way. You live in a time where it's easier than ever to help break the cycle of poverty that's holding children captive every day all over the world. We're MANA Worldwide, and by partnering with us, you can be the change in a child's life, and here's how it works. We work together to bring relief for the most urgent needs such as nutrition and medical care. Then we aim to make a long-term impact and empower these communities by providing education and starting churches. Your support tells these children that they don't have to live in fear of being without. Only then can we truly break the cycle of poverty by providing hope, hope for a future, and hope for an eternity. So we invite you to join us in what we've been doing since 2001 and ask you to give to a cause greater than ourselves. And give confidently, knowing that on average, 90 cents of every dollar goes straight to the field. And don't just give, go! We lead over 100 trips every year to your projects so you can build a relationship with the children you support. Anyone can change the life of a child. So what are you waiting for? Change one life, change a family, change a community, city, country, change the world. It all begins with one. It all begins with you. MANA Worldwide, rescuing children from the grip of poverty. Baptist Bible Fellowship, please welcome Bruce O'Neill. Good evening, good evening. So glad to be with you here tonight. I appreciate so many of you that uh, many of you have supported this ministry for many years and God's used you in a great way. Some of you have not been involved, you will be judged later. So. I'm thrilled to be here at Hallmark. This is my home church, and God has been so good. I want to share some of the things tonight. I don't want to keep you long. Uh, what God is doing, not only around the world, but here at home. Uh, as many of you know, we have the engaged camps now. God has done some great things. We're so excited about them. We started last year. We had a great year. And we've been able to enlarge Jason Hallmeyer, Rob Rosenbaum, and Melissa Tucker have done a great job with these MANA camps. We're praying that uh, next year we'll be able to expand to two more campuses. It looks like uh, right now we've, this year we're outgrowing where we've been, and it's all a thing that God's been doing. We're, nobody's been more surprised than I. Uh, we're also going to take these young people and be able to plug them in in various fields around the world. Man is going to take trips with the young people that show a, a great potential. Our camps this year will be in Karen in University, just north of Philadelphia. We'll have one at Chautauqua in Ohio, Segu in Waxahachie, and Gordon College in Boston. I really believe that the problem is we're not reaching our youth. 
And that's what Mana tries to do all over the world. And here in the States, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to help reach the youth. And not only that, keep them in our church. According to recent statistics, it's tragic. Over 85% of the young people in our churches, once they graduate high school, are falling away. 85%. We want to do what we can for the cause of Christ to keep these young people plugged in. Therefore, we're expanding the camps this year. We're having mid-year camps. We're taking young people and showing them that they can have a purpose other than just being in their home church, that they can also have a purpose in being used in the daily walk with Christ. We're going to have an opportunity for them to come to mid-season camps that will be held in the winter. We're going to, as I said before, be able to take these same young people, plug them in around the world in separate camps, and we believe that God is going to use them in a great way. So pray for that, if you will, that God will continue blessing there. We've also started Mana USA. I should say started, continued, but we're growing, Lord willing, Mana USA. Uh, we've got 12 programs around the United States where we supply food to go in backpacks for children and reaching them for the cause of Christ through various churches. Many of these churches have multitudes of three and four schools they're working with. We just opened up four new projects up in Denver, and we believe God is going to continue blessing in that. God has done something that really surprised us, and that is had a a large organization in Virginia contact us and say, we would like to work through your network. And what we want to do is we want to supply you with up, up to and over 100 different 18-wheelers each year full of goods. We're starting a warehouse ministry here in Fort Worth where we'll be receiving as many as we can handle, 18-wheel trucks that will bring us things, goods from Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, uh, Home Depot, uh, many major retailers, JCPenney's, Walmart. They will bring them to our warehouse, unload them. There, we're working with a core group of North Texas pastors that we met with. We're going to allow these pastors to come in, bring their people in, and when they're in a building program, they'll be able to come in and buy, or buy get, sinks, stoves, faucets, a multitude of other things to help build that new building. Also, we're working with these pastors to say, reach your community for Christ, and we want to help you. When you're dealing with a poor population, as we all know, they're not interested, in most cases, with the Word of God. They're interested about how they're going to get by the next, to the next day, how they're going to survive. And so we're telling churches, come in, pick up supplies, deliver them to your communities, set up Bible studies for these people, help them be engaged in getting a job, help them supply the needs for their family. This same organization has asked us to be the distributor for the Southwest. They sent me an email today and they said they had been asking us, but the lady sent me an email today and said, Hey, what about your Denver? You said we could do this in Denver, too. And I, uh, I let her know. I said, well, let us go ahead and get this one started right here. And then, Lord willing, we'll be able to open up 
in our Denver office. I believe working with churches here in the United States, we want you pastors to have the opportunity to be able to reach out in your community in maybe a different atmosphere or a different territory than what we normally do. And I think it can be a, a thing that God is able to use in a great way. Let's go ahead and go on. Can you turn your Bibles to 2 Kings? 2 Kings chapter 7. We're looking at verse 3 and 4. Tonight, let me briefly just go over a few things here. 2 Kings chapter 7 says this, roughly leading up to it. It's time when Israel is a nation, but they have been surrounded by the Syrians. The Syrians are about to come in and pillage the city, destroy this nation, and these Israelites have nowhere to turn. They're desperate. They're people in need. They don't know what to do. Second Kings shares with us that there are four leprous men sitting in the gates to the city. Lepers were the outcasts. They couldn't go into the city because they did, they would be killed or stoned for bringing the disease in. They couldn't go out of the city because the Syrians were out there and they knew they'd be killed. They were filled with fear. We don't know what that kind of fear is like. We don't understand what it may be to die tomorrow for a lack of food. But I know one thing. We do know what fear is like. And for us to deny that we don't understand fear is wrong. I feel like every one of us here goes through a certain degree of fear and if we're not careful it becomes pervasive in our life and we let that same fear get us to a place where we're just demobilized. We can't do anything anymore because we don't want to upset our church. We finally got it to where it needs to be and we don't want to rock the boat anymore. We want to carry it through till at least we retire. You think that's funny? I've, I've been sitting in those pastor's offices and they tell me, man, I just got to get enough to have enough to retire so when I leave here I'll have my social security and a little pension and man I just got to make sure I hold this thing together I can't do anything else I've been with missionaries who have told me when I was in the Philippines said man I wish I could go back to America because I miss America I'm tired of being a missionary but I don't know how to go back and they, they stay there with fear in their heart and say, what do I do? I grew up in fear. I uh, what about to tell you, I'd, I've never shared until about two weeks ago here at Hallmark. And uh, <clears throat> I, always, I was always uneasy about it. I'd tell a few friends over the years as God grew me. I remember telling Greg Lyons the first time about it. He made fun of me ever since then. And it's, it's, I'm a dyslexic. When I was a little boy, I couldn't read. They didn't know why. 
they sent me to this college to figure it out. They came back and said, your son will never read. He'll always have a manual labor job, and um, that's, that's the way it's going to be. My dad told me, who my dad was a raging alcoholic, but he said, uh, you don't have to go to school anymore. He said, uh, you'll never be able to read, and one day you can get a job and do something very simple, but that's all you're going to be able to do. And all I knew about my dad was he would come home every night drunk. We were poor. He drank up the check, and he'd cuss me every day of my life. So as I grew up, I thought, I cannot live my life like this. I've got to have something else. And so I thought, I've got to make a lot of money. That's the only way I can be happy. And I wasn't going to tell anybody about my dyslexia. I had to prove I could do it. I didn't know Christ. So I worked hard. I met this girl when I was about 18. Man, I wanted to date her. And uh, I was talking to her one night, and I said, hey, you want to go out tonight after work? And she looked at me and said the dumbest thing I'd ever heard in my life. She said, well, where do you go to church? And there was a fear that I felt then. And I said, um, I have been looking for a good church to go to. <laughs> and uh, my wife, who's here somewhere, will attest to that, that I said that. And she said, uh, okay, yeah, I'll go out with you. So we went out. I went to Hallmark Baptist, the old location. I hated it. Oh, it was terrible. Worst thing I'd ever been a part of. I mean, I was, I loved Led Zeppelin. The closest thing they had was a 90-year-old lady playing the organ. It was terrible. I hated every part of it. But I really liked this girl. I had the fear that if I quit going to church, she was not going to date me. So I went to church, or as I call it, purgatory, for a year. We got married on our honeymoon. I said, baby, I love you. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. But you know, you know my goals. I got to become rich. I got to work hard and, and get this money so one day I'll have enough money and we'll be happy. And so you're going to go to church. One day we'll have a child. You'll take them to church. I'm not going anymore. I'm going to make the money. And Pam looked at me in that sweet little way she did and she said oh you think so you're going to church <laughs> and I said yes ma'am so I went to Hallmark for eight years hated it brother Haley wasn't even there then that was really back in the old days and so <laughs> I went to Hallmark I made money my company became successful. I bought houses and cars. And when I was the ripe old age of 27, a fear came over me. I woke up one morning and I thought, I won the game. I've got the houses, the cars. One day I'm going to die and that's going to be it. And it it was something that hit me every morning for six months.
It's the first thing I thought of. After six months, I woke up one morning and said, okay, if you're really a God, if you're really who you say you are, I'm going to go to church Sunday. I'm going to give you one shot. I'm going to listen to a sermon. You better do good. This is your only chance. I went to Hallmark, and for the first time in eight years, I actually listened to a message. I'm not kidding. My average on a message was about 10 to 20 seconds, and I was off after that. I listened to a message, and God turned my life around. We got out of church. I didn't want to be a fanatic and go down that first Sunday. So we got out of church, and Pam was one of those wild church women. She went to church on Sunday night. And I said, I, I guess you're going to church night. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I'll go with you. And she was like, why? She's so surprised. So uh, I went with her Sunday night, next Wednesday night. And the Sunday after that, I gave my life to Christ. Amen. The fear I'd had growing up as a kid because I couldn't read, that fear of people finding out, the fear of not having money and living like my dad lived was all gone. I had Christ. My life changed drastically. I surrendered to be a missionary, went to the mission field. And you know what surprised me? That fear came back. Let's look here in 2 Kings chapter 7. Starting with verse 3. It says, Now therefore four leprous men were at the entrance to the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit here till we die? If we say we will enter into the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still, we die also. Now therefore come and let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they kill us alive, we, we shall, or pardon me, if they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. These were men filled with fear. Not, not as we go to the field as missionaries. Not as we go as pastors to our churches. Not as we go as laymen just trying to live. But there's still a fear in our life. And when I went to the mission field, my fear was that I'd be a failure. I wanted to succeed. I wanted God to use me. I wanted to know that I hadn't wasted a lot of money from other people that had given me to go to the field. My fear was definitely failure. And I knew the only thing I could do was look at what other missionaries were doing and follow that. And I looked at veterans on the field, and they were doing a great job, and I learned from them. And I, I tried to soak it all in so I wouldn't be a failure because that was my fear. And so I learned from them, and, and we started some churches, and God blessed. And I wasn't a great missionary. I think I was a good missionary, but God blessed, and our churches grew, and God did some wonderful things. These men were sitting in their gate, in that gate. And they said, why are we doing this? Their security was in that gate. They said, 
why are we sitting here till we die? Can I say this? That should be our fear. Are we doing the same thing we've always done, expecting God to do us, give us great things? I think it's extremely easy to become adequate and not have those fears. Not, but, but many of us start to think, wait, what if I do this or what if I do that? And then that fear drives us back into sitting and saying, I got to retire one day. I have to retire. I have to keep the church happy. I have to go to the mission field and do what everybody else is doing. I, I've got to just sit still here till I die. My friends, I'm confessing. I, I feel like that's what I was doing at least part of the time as a missionary. I develop a church, God would bless, it'd be great, but I didn't take that next step. I didn't want to take that chance. I find that these men too had a fear of being different. It says in verse four, now therefore come and let us surrender. They had a fear of doing something unusual. They were sitting in the gate of the city. They were going to perish. They realized it. And when desperation came, there's nowhere else to turn. They knew they couldn't go back in the city. They were pushed to do something different. They had no alternative. But many times, we never get to that stage. We just languish in being normal being adequate. I didn't do it for many years, didn't do something different because I feared being different. When God started dealing with Pema and I about starting manna in the Philippines, we'd started a feeding center, which by the way, let me show you the great faith I have. When God challenged us to start a feeding center, I thought maybe we could do 10 kids but the fear hit me. It's like, how are we going to pay for them? How are we going to feed 10 kids? And how are we going to reach their parents for Christ? And, and I, I kept saying, no, 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 no. I think in my life, so many times, I, I, this thought has crossed my mind. What if I would have stopped there? And I almost did. My lack of faith almost caused a tragic event in my ministry. But somehow, with my weak faith, and it was weak, I said, okay, we'll try to feed 10 kids. And God, as you know, he just wants to say, take a little chance. I'm not asking you to jump into the deep. Take just a little chance. And what God did from there is he supplied an organization to supply all the money. He supplied other people to supply money. And within three months, we had 250 kids come to that center every week. And we started educating them. And that church grew. And we started reaching their moms and dads. My fear almost stifled the whole program. Finally, we have the fear of being different. It says, now, therefore, come and let us surrender. As they were sitting in the gate, sitting, and then they said, we've got to go. And then they finally said, 
hey, let's take a chance. The Syrians are out there. The worst they can do is kill us. But we got a chance here. We've got to get to that stage in our life where we say, I'm going to step out and take that chance. Can I tell you, I wish I could say, let me finish. They went out, the Syrians had fled. God caused them to hear the armies of what they thought were the Egyptians and the Hittites. They ran for their life. This, they came into the camp. There was food abundantly everywhere. They started eating. Things were great, and they became comfortable. They sat, and they didn't do anything. They had it made like we get. And then finally, one of them said, We are not doing right. I don't know where you are in your life, but I don't want to get comfortable. I don't want to get comfortable in the gate. I don't want to get comfortable going to the camp, and I don't want to sit and die in that camp gorging myself. But I will tell you this. To this day, all the time, I still face fear. I'm still that little boy afraid somebody's going <clears throat> that somebody's going to, to call me to read out loud. We all face fears. I face fears. We get this program going, this program going, we need to spend money on this program. And I've started telling my directors. We know when God's doing something great because he's making all of us fear a little. That fear is a good thing if we'll step out and say, despite the fear, I'm going forward. Those lepers left that camp and went back and told the Israelites, there's victory right over that hill. Please, don't stop. Don't Dwell where you are. Go forward. Take my advice. Still scary. God wants to do some wonderful things in our ministries. God wants to do some wonderful things in our lives as lay people. Allow God to use you in a mighty way.